Hey, thanks for <laughs> thanks for helping us laugh a little bit. Uh, uh, I mean, laughter is good, right, church? Yeah. Uh, especially, you know, we've been through uh, a difficult few weeks uh, together. Uh, Forty days of prayer ending today. That hasn't been the the difficult part. I wish. We should just do 366 uh, days of prayer, right? Uh, but, uh, but really, a difficult time of, of searching the scriptures, really wrestling uh, with uh, the challenges before our broader denomination and, and to some degree, even our, our own church family. Uh, and for those of you who, who might not have been on this journey over the last several weeks with us, uh, let me bring you up to speed just real quick. Uh, the United Methodist Church has been in uh, at odds, really, over the interpretation and application of the scriptures as it relates to uh, same-sex marriage, but just same-sex sexual relationships in general. And our historical stance has been to affirm and love all people, but to not condone same-sex sexual practices. Um, uh, many people, um, out of a desire to do what they feel uh, is, is right by God, that honors God and loves people, have, have lived in open defiance to those uh, stances of the church. And, and really, it's, it's kind of placed our denomination in a bit of chaos uh, in such a way that it seems unlikely uh, that, that there isn't going to be a split. So it seems likely there'll be some sort of a split come May. Um, after our general conference. General conference is the largest decision-making body of the broader United Methodist Church. And, and literally, folks, millions of dollars has been spent to help us try to find a way forward, and yet we continue in denominational dysfunction. And that, you need to know, breaks my heart. It's exacted a toll on, uh, on my family, as it has uh, many, many uh, leaders in the, in the broader denomination. And whether you realize it or not, it's taken a toll on our church family, too. Uh, th that's really why our leadership felt that these 40 days of prayer and this six-part series that, uh, that we've been undergoing ha have been an important part of our journey. Uh, to inform you, as we wrestle with the scriptures together. And in doing so, I've uh, shared with you where I land. Uh, that because of the biblical evidence, which if you are just visiting today, or this is the first time you've been here, you can watch uh, kind of an outline of some of the, the scriptures and some of the thoughts on those uh, from the last few weeks. You can check those out online. But because of the biblical evidence, I, I believe uh, that same-sex sexual practice is contrary to God's will for people. And, and I really feel like the Bible leaves me no wiggle room to teach otherwise. Um, rather, the only expressions of human sexuality that the Bible does uh, affirm um, are chastity in singleness and fidelity in a covenant marriage between one man and one woman. Um, and, and coming up uh, this Wednesday, right here in this room, we're going to be having a talkback session on this series, on holy sexuality, during our normal worship and prayer night at 6.30 p.m. And a, a part of that time will be dedicated to responding to questions that this series has raised in you. Um, so on your way in today, I hope you received a blank sheet of paper um, and, um, and 
if you want to write down, if you start to tune out in the sermon, uh, which I, I get, it happens. Uh, I do too. Sometimes you don't even know it, uh, but but you can you can write you can write your questions down, and then uh, since we've already taken the offering, you can't put it in there. But there's a basket right by the sound booth on a tall table uh, right there, so you can put those questions in that basket. That gives me a little bit of uh, lead time. I'll try to respond to as many of those as possible uh, come Wednesday evening. Uh, but you need to know I've also gotten a lot of feedback already and responded to multitudes of emails and just face-to-face conversations along the way. And here's some of what has happened in the last few weeks. Um, First off, I have received dozens and dozens of messages or comments uh, simply saying thank you. Thank you for uh, going there. Uh, this is hard stuff, and, and, I, and I appreciate hearing that. Uh, and this has largely come from people within our church, uh, but also from many people outside of our United Methodist Church and, and part of other United Methodist churches who have expressed to me, gosh, I wish our church was engaging in the, in the topic. This is significant. It could, you know, split our church, and, and they're not hearing conversation. Uh, a few other people have, have uh, told me that this has been challenging them tremendously. Um, and, and some have said, this has changed my mind on a few different things. Um, of course, some of you uh, have disagreed with where I land, uh, but you have been respectful and, and uh, even shared that this series has, has challenged you and, and maybe changed the way that you uh, see people who think differently than you. And, and in fact, a few of you who have disagreed with kind of where I've landed have, have said, you know what, this is my church home and it always will be. And, and I'm glad to hear that. Um, I, I loved hearing from one particular family who has, has teenagers and they've all been in worship and listening together and they've shared how this has led them to some, some really important and great conversations that need to happen. Uh, uh, one guest, uh, a guest, uh, shared with me that um, after a service, she shared that she has a, a gay child um, and expressed gratitude for this series balancing grace and truth. Um, and, and after praying together, she even shared with us, she said, I'm, I might make this my church home. Um, but the one conversation that really touched me the most deeply uh, was uh, after a worship service, a man approached me. Uh, it was obvious that there were tears in his eyes. And, um, and he said, I'm a part of the LGBTQ community. And I didn't know what to expect after that, a punch or, uh, or really, I, I didn't. But, but there were tears in his eyes and he just said, thank you. Thank you for welcoming me. And he said that, that he, didn't, uh, he didn't feel welcome uh, by the church that he had spent the most of his life in because of his sexuality. Uh, and after we prayed together and, you know, tears, you know, lots of tears, both of us. And I just said, you know, I love you. This church loves you. You'll always have a place here. And, um, and, and, and I hope he continues to experience the love of Jesus in this church. You know, I realize that this journey has not been easy for some of you, and I know that some of you have, have questioned whether you can continue to be a part of, of this church. Um, uh, maybe your fear is that if you're a part of a church that, that doctrinally believes that same-sex sexual activity is not a part of God's design and desire, that, that you'll be hurting people or, or pushing people farther away from Jesus. And, and you know what? I, 
I'm really glad that you, you made it this far, that you, you hung around this far in this series, because today I'll try to spell out what all of this means for us, because you need to know that that is a fear that I've always had too. Uh, but I believe that, that we will actually do the opposite, that we will actually be able to draw people closer to Jesus if we as individuals and as a church move forward in mission and ministry by emulating Jesus. And I think that's a little bit of what this passage from Romans 12 speaks to. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. For by the grace given me, I say to every one of you, do not think of yourself more highly than you ought, but rather think of yourself with sober judgment in accordance with the faith God has distributed to each of you. You know, this morning in our a final message in this series. You can hold your applause. Um, I want to invite each and every one of you uh, to respond to God's amazing love and grace with holiness and humility. Uh, first, holiness. We, we've spent a lot of time talking about holiness in, in this series. Uh, we were created to reflect God's holy image in, in the way that we live our lives. And yet, we've learned from our biblical worldview that sin has distorted God's good moral image in our lives. Th this scripture that I just read, that gives us a pathway to holiness despite our sin. Um, and and, and this, this, is, this is so important. First, I hope you heard this. We are to offer our bodies as living sacrifices. In other words, we're to live under God's authority in our lives uh, with very clear implications for our physical body, uh, the, the temple of God's Holy Spirit. Be, being a living sacrifice, among other things, means that, that we give up our wants and our desires in order to live for God in every way. That's what worship is. It's, it's lowering ourselves to elevate God above us. And secondly, we are to avoid, verse 2, we're to avoid the pattern of this world. A few weeks ago, I, I shared about kind of our culture's uh, current worldview that, that really clashes with a biblical worldview. We, we are to reject the pattern of this world and instead be transformed by the renewing of our mind, which if you recall uh, from the biblical worldview, that happens when we repent, when we turn from ourselves and our ways and we respond to God's grace in our lives. Grace restores God's image in us. It renews our mind, and it's God's grace that makes us holy. Now, if you gathered from these first two verses, at the very least, the pursuit of holiness, that requires a united response of our entire personhood, our body and our mind. 
And verse 3 really speaks to a posture of humility that I invite us each to assume. Do not think of yourself more highly than you ought. I've said this again and again and again. Uh, I'll, I'll say it again. Uh, the theological position where I land, and if you land there too, this is not free license to think of yourself as any better than someone who's, who identifies with the LGBTQ community. And not far, far from it. We are called each to recognize our own sin, to repent, and to be transformed by the Holy Spirit. None of us is in a position of judgment over other people. Now, according to this verse and, and, and many other like it, we are tasked with knowing and discerning God's will. But we are not tasked with judging people. Jesus is the only one who is morally superior enough to judge people. And yet, what's, what's fascinating is Jesus, just, he, yet he modeled humility. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of the others. In your relationship with one another, have the same attitude of mind Christ Jesus had who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant. Being made in human likeness and being found in appearance as a human being, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Holiness and humility. You know, I think our problem really in the world oftentimes is that we focus on either holiness or humility rather than holiness and humility humility. Uh, just some generalizations here. Conservatives tend to demand sexual holiness without a posture of humility. And liberals tend to demand humility without a call to biblical sexual holiness. But we find the perfect balance of humility and holiness in the way that Jesus related to people. Uh, and particularly those who are on the margins. Now, I want to give you this biblical example for a pattern uh, for the way that, that I hope our church will move forward in mission and ministry with people, uh, embodying Jesus, his, both his holiness and his humility. In fact, um, I, I've spoken with some people. Some people have kind of come to the conclusion that the Bible does speak pretty clearly uh, against all same-sex sexual practice, but, but have asked the very good question, you know, since we're all sinners, all of us, since we're all sinners, why can't we just embody the spirit of Jesus with the LGBTQ community? And you know what? I completely and 100% agree that yes, we should embody Jesus to all people. We need to embody his humility and his holiness. And I think this passage, this story is a great example of just that. It's from John chapter 8. At dawn, he, Jesus, appeared in the temple courts. 
where all the people gathered around him, and he sat down to teach them. The teachers of the law and the Pharisees brought in a woman caught in adultery. They made her stand before the group and said to Jesus, Teacher, this this woman was caught in the act of adultery. In the law, Moses commanded us to stone such women. Now, what do you say? And they were using this question as a trap, the scripture says, in order to have a basis for accusing him. They were trying to trap him between holiness and humility. But Jesus bent down and started to write on the ground with his finger. When they kept on questioning him, he straightened up and said to them, let any one of you who is without sin be the first to throw a stone at her. And again, he stooped down and wrote on the ground. And at this, those who heard began to go away one at a time, the older ones first, until only Jesus was left with the woman still standing there. Jesus straightened up and asked her, woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? No one, sir, she said. Then neither do I condemn you, Jesus declared. Go now and leave your life of sin. Here's a woman who was caught in adultery, uh, sexual immorality. Uh, and, and yet, uh, right off the bat, we recognize there's some religious hypocrisy going on here. I mean, where's the guy, uh, right? Uh, if she was caught in the act. And, and the Pharisees, they demanded judgment because according to the law, she was unholy for what she did. And, and what does Jesus do? Jesus demands, or Jesus re- responds to their demand for holiness, not by undermining holiness. No, he did it by calling them to humility. Let those of you without sin be the first to cast a stone. And, and then the woman, she's, she is left with Jesus, and she is in a completely humbled state, exposed to the world for her sin, exposed. And, and what does Jesus do? He meets her in her humility. And he calls her to holiness. Go now and leave your life of sin. As a church, it is my hope, it really is my prayer that we will have the same posture of Jesus and practice holiness and humility, particularly as it relates to same-sex sexual practice and anyone who may identify as LGBTQ. Uh, You need to know that as a church under my pastoral leadership, I long for us to be radically welcoming of everyone without affirming those actions and attitudes that the Bible speaks against. Uh, Here's what I think that looks like practically. Um, Emulating Jesus means that we will welcome everyone right where they're at. We will meet people in their mess, whatever that messy situation might be. It doesn't matter if they recognize that it's a mess and are repentant. It it doesn't matter if they don't recognize what the mess is and are unrepentant. Uh, And this includes anyone, anyone engaged in same-sex sexual activity or any number of other things, uh, whether they're legally married or otherwise. Everyone is welcome, no questions asked. Furthermore, Anyone can become a member of our church who is sincere 
in taking the vows of membership. Uh, uh, newsflash, none of our members are perfect. Hopefully, hopefully, while we are on this journey with Jesus, we will learn to recognize our own sin and repent of what we know and understand to be sin in our lives. But we are not all on the same place uh, of our understanding. That, that is part of the journey of discipleship. Membership is not a symbol of arrival. It is a symbol of commitment on the journey. Also, baptism is a prerequisite for membership, and I will baptize anyone who sincerely desires to follow Jesus, including those who are openly engaged in same-sex sexual relationships and or their children. If you want to follow Jesus and sincerely take the vows of baptism, I will baptize you. Lord knows I have baptized dozens and dozens of people who are not fully aware of all the particular ways that they fall short of God's design and desire in their lives. People with any unrecognized or unrepentant sin will be welcomed and loved and invited to participate in the life and ministries of our church. And this should be really good news for everyone here. Amen? Amen. We're all in that boat. However, you should know that we seek to hold our leadership in the church to a high standard. So those who are engaged in any open or ongoing sin will not be asked to serve in leadership uh, or, or will uh, be asked to step aside from leadership for a time, take a break until repentance has been exhibited and healing has taken place in their lives. Now, obviously, our pastoral leadership in this church, we are not clairvoyant. So we don't see everything. And it's very possible that unrepentant sin is present that, that we, we aren't aware of, that we don't know about. That's why we hold the bar high and ask people to take a good, hard look at their own walk with Jesus. Because I'm not a detective out to find out everybody's dirt. I'm a pastor who is trying to help make disciples uh, accountability is so vitally important, but it is not my job to hold everyone accountable. It's our covenant with one another as members to hold ourselves accountable and to help one another remain on a path of following Jesus. Um, also, since our church leadership is a prerequisite, and not our church leadership, but leadership in the church is a prerequisite for ordination, we will not recommend anyone engaged in open and unrepentant sin for ordination. Uh, nor will we conduct same-sex marriages as something that is somehow blessed by God. And, and honestly, these are the same standards that the United Methodist Church has held up since its inception in 1968 and that I have practiced my entire life in ministry. Um, that's what this looks like practically for our church. And I encourage you, uh, have conversations with one another about this. Uh, talk with each other. Talk, talk with your family. Talk with your journey group or with your church friends or, or, or those who you feel safe with. Talk about how you feel about, about what it looks like practically uh, in our church. P process it with one another. Um, and, and I'm going I'm to state the obvious here. Um, you don't have to agree with me on everything to be a faithful and active part of this church. And that not everyone in our church leadership agrees with me on everything. 
Uh, but, but each of them are comfortable and supportive of the, the ways that I, I've just kind of outlined for you of approaching uh, ministry uh, to, to all people. And, uh, frankly, I, I just need to confess that sometimes I'm, I'm kind of jealous. Jealous of those of you who you don't have to take a position. You can just say, I'm just going to love people the way Jesus loved them. And you don't have to take a position because you're not in a position of leading and teaching others. But for me, I have to. And so I've done my best to take a widely read, uh, scripturally informed, deeply prayerful position. And you need to know that I walk in fear and trembling before God as I not only try to teach sound doctrine uh, so as not to lead anyone astray, um, but e even more difficult, uh, I try to live my life in a way that is congruent with what I proclaim. And in our current cultural climate, even within the church, that's becoming, for me, even more and more difficult because I hear all the characterizations uh, of those who, who take the same uh, biblical position that I do. Uh, I hear the rhetoric. You don't want to be on the wrong side of history. Church got it wrong with slavery. Church got it wrong with women in leadership and, and ministry. Uh, you don't want to be responsible for oppressing LGBTQ people. And, and you know, the church has gotten some things wrong throughout history. Uh, the church has plenty to repent of. But even within the Bible itself, there is a lot of evidence for rejecting slavery. Paul, Paul himself called a slave owner because of the gospel to free his slave. And there are numerous affirming examples of women in leadership position in both ancient Israel and the early church. But, but all I'm saying is the scripture is kind of a mixed bag on those things. I don't see any mixed bag in the scriptures about same-sex sexual relationships. And I shared last week regarding sexuality overall, Jesus always raised the bar on sexuality. He made it I mean, his disciples, I shared a couple weeks ago, his disciples said, wow, uh, it's better just to stay single. <laughs> uh, that's, that's the hard bar that you just raised to, Jesus. And, and yet at the same time, Jesus' holiness was not oppressive to people. And I certainly don't want to oppress anyone. Yeah, I did... I hope you know this about my heart. I didn't say yes to Jesus, to following Jesus, or, or yes to a call to pastoral ministry in order to hurt people. No pastor has done that. So please hear my heart on this. Uh, I, LGBTQ folks, they're just people like you and me. With hopes and dreams, with with a longing to belong and a fear of rejection, which many have experienced over and over and over again. Looking for meaning and purpose in life, just, just trying to make it in this world. They need love and care and compassion as much or more as, as you or I do. You know, I wholly believe that all people 
must be loved and received right where they are as a critical step on their journey of coming to Jesus, being transformed from the inside out by the work of the Holy Spirit. So, so I will always welcome everyone. I will not beat people over the head with, with their particular vices, but I will regularly call all people to repentance, to offer their bodies as living sacrifices and to have their minds renewed um, and be transformed as a result. I, I will unapologetically call you to abandon your old self and put on your new self. That's the gospel. That's that we can be loved by God despite the fact that we are far, far from him. And that after we experience the unconditional love of God made possible by Jesus Christ, his life, death, and his resurrection, that we can be transformed and want to live a godly and holy life. And you know what? That kind of ministry is risky. If you hear me kind of talking out of both sides of my mouth, that's because that kind of ministry is risky. It's exactly what Jesus was doing. He kind of walked right down the middle of the road and he got hit by a car. You know, it's risky for us because the same thing that happened to Jesus could happen to us. You know, we, we could become the church that, that others, uh, others on the outside look at and say, oh, oh, oh look, look at the people they are welcoming. Or on the other side, say, oh, Look at who they're not welcoming, or look at who they're, they're look at what their doctrine says. Uh, but but I think a lot of people will say, look at who they're welcoming, and say, I, and they're talking about you all. <laughs> and they'll say, look at who they're welcoming. That's where those people go. And if anyone ever says that about our church, then then I'll know that we've arrived. Uh, you, you see, Jesus entered the mess of our sin in order to redeem all of humanity. That's our biblical worldview again. He enters into our sinful mess. He calls us his own, and he empowers us to put on his righteousness and then go out into other people's messes and point them to Jesus. Now, pertinent example, uh, hypothetical. You know, occasionally people will ask me uh, if they should attend a gay or lesbian friend or family member's marriage, wedding. And of course, if you affirm same-sex sexual relationships, you'd obviously say yes. But what if, what if you hold uh, the position of the church, the, the position that I've identified with throughout this series? If you go, doesn't that mean that you're affirming things, that you're approving of them? And to answer this, I just, I like to think about what Jesus would do. What he modeled over and over and over again. He entered into the mess Jesus entered into plenty of unholy situations. And you know what? His holiness was not tarnished by them. His reputation was tarnished, particularly among the self-righteous religious people. Like, oh, look at him. He's eating with unclean people. Look at him. He's eating with tax collectors and sinners. Friends, Jesus is not concerned about his reputation as much as he is concerned about people who are far from him. He's not worried about being made unclean by associating with sinful people. In fact, when Jesus associated with unclean people, his holiness actually made them want to be clean. That's my hope and my vision for our church moving into the future, that we would strive 
for personal and social holiness, but that we would never be afraid to welcome and engage messy situations with real people because that's the only way any of us could ever encounter the holiness of God that can transform our lives. I recently came across this quote about Jesus that I hope captures my attitude and action toward people. And I especially love it because it's a football analogy. Um, and, and because uh, I was a middle linebacker when I played football. In fact, every once in a while, you just need to know this. Uh, you kind of cross my path. I'm just, I'm, it's hardwired in me to just, I, I want to tackle you sometimes. <laughs> so uh, just know that if it ever happens, I, I apologize. But, but anyway, this quote is from author Hugh Halter. And he says this, he says, like a middle linebacker, who effortlessly shunts aside 300-pound offenders coming at him so that he can get to the quarterback, so Jesus shunts off sins to win the heart of the sinner. Man, I want to be that kind of linebacker Christian. Don't you? And don't you? Don't you want to be willing to enter the messy and even the sometimes dark situations in order to love people and bring the holy light of Christ to them? Oh, I hope that you want that. I hope that's, it. that's what you want for yourself and what you want for your church. Because, folks, that is the gospel mandate. To go into all the world to make disciples to invite people on a journey with Jesus regardless of who they are, how they identify, or, or what they have done, or, or what they're doing now. And, and I am personally just ever so grateful for the faithful who have gone before, who have done just that, who have emulated Jesus, his humility and his holiness to invite me and, and countless others on this amazing journey with our Savior. Let's, let's pray. If, if we could, let's pray that God makes us that kind of people. Would you join your hearts with mine? Well, Heavenly Father, whew, we finally made it to the end of this difficult sermon series. But really, I sense that you are calling each and every one of us and, and our church to a new starting point, a new commitment to holiness and humility. Lord, remind us not to think so highly of ourselves. And we offer ourselves as living sacrifices and we ask that you would transform us by the renewing of our minds so that we would become the kind of people that are willing to enter into the mess of this world on a rescue mission, equipped by your holy light. Father, even now we can probably each individually think of plenty of times that we've shied away from that. Maybe even turning up our nose to those people or that situation that you deem unholy. And we've missed, Lord, we've missed the opportunity to enter into the mess and to point people to you the way that you entered into our mess to save us. We confess that we have fallen short and we pray for your spirit to empower us to never let our self-righteousness stand in the way of radically loving people the way that Jesus modeled with humility and holiness. That's the kind of people we want to be, Father. 
Because that's the kind of God that you are. We worship you. We raise a hallelujah to you. In Jesus' name. And all of God's people agreed and said,